This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Today, the title of my message is From Philadelphia to Philadelphia. In the book of Revelations, we find a church in the city of Philadelphia. This is a church which the Lord found no fault. It was a pure church. It was given an open door and a mission to reach the world. The Greek word for pure is katharos. And there is a group of people who first show up in the middle of the second century called Cathars. Today, I want to look at this people. They first show up in the city of Philadelphia, and I believe their origin can be traced to this pure church. They spread eastward across Europe all the way to what is now London and Oxford in the British Isles. And they were there long before the Catholics ever arrived. Let me read you the letter that Christ wrote to the pastor of the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but uh, do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem which cometh down from heaven from my, from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In this letter, he says that he has the keys to open and close, and no one can close what he has opened, and no one can open what he has closed. He gave them an open door because of their faithfulness. They had a little strength. They had enough strength to make the effort but not enough to trust in themselves. They knew that they needed God in order to get the work done, and I believe that's a major reason why uh, he chose this church uh, for the beginning of this people that I call the Cathars. They knew that when they did it, they got the glory, and when God did it, God got the glory. It also says that he did it because they kept his word. I believe that's a twofold uh, statement right there. I believe that it means that they followed his word. They kept its sayings. They did what it said, which is an important part in the life of any Christian. But this church seemed to uh, really characterize this idea. But also it meant they guarded it from cor corruption. They were very careful in their in their copying of it to make sure that nothing was lost and everything was was true to what their Lord had actually said in his word. It also said they had not denied his name. 
Now, some of the other churches in these these seven churches had done so, even though they were like what it says in uh, first, uh, excuse me, in Titus chapter one verse sixteen. They, it says they professed that they knew God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. There are a lot of people in the Christian world or so-called Christian world that say they they know God, say they believe in him, but their works prove that they really don't. And that's what this is talking about. Well, this church wasn't like that. It was faithful in word and in deed to the principles of of God and uh, showed that they knew him because they obeyed what he said. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the only way we can really show our love for God is to do what he says. Another promise that they have in this letter is that the false teachers, those he says are of the synagogue of Satan and say they are Jews but are liars, he says that he will cause them to bow down before them and that they would know that he loved them. He also promises to keep them from the hour of temptation. It's called the tribulation period. It's when God is going to pour out his wrath wrath upon the whole world. It says they kept the word of his patience. That means they patiently endured in his word. They kept it patiently and trusting him to work things out. You know, oftentimes when we look at the word of God and see the things that it commands us to do, it doesn't make real sense to our finite minds. And these people had enough faith in God to patiently endure, even when it looked like things weren't going the way they should. It also implies that they would still exist before this hour of temptation came. It's it's uh, the perpetuity. It's where Christ said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So these people would still be existing at the time of Christ's return to catch us out of this world. I think these people still exist today, and you'll understand why a little bit later, but uh, they're not called Qatari or Qatar anymore. They're called Baptists. He also commanded them to hold fast to what they had and that there would be many blessings in the hereafter. So we need to listen to what he had to say in this letter, and we need to learn as we build our churches and as we, uh, as churches, faithfully serve God. For the next part of this message, I want to talk about what these people believed. I have an 11th century confession of faith from the Cathars, and from it we learn What they really believed is not what you'll find written if you go on the Internet and search it out. All of the things you find there, or at least most of them, are written by their enemies. And I want to look at this and see if these people really were Baptists or if they were something else. The first doctrine I want to look at is the Trinity. When talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this confession says these three, the Holy Trinity, as one God, ought to be honored. That fits perfectly with 1 John 5, 7, that says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. This is the most clear passage of Scripture in all of the Bible on the Trinity, and uh, we find that these people believed in the Trinity. Now, that's important because they're accused of being dualists and believing there are two co-equal gods, a God of evil and a God of of uh, good, and and uh, it's just a false accusation made by their enemies. How about the free will of man? When speaking of mankind, it, the confession says, 
giving him a power of doing good, talking about mankind, or evil, but commanding him to keep from evil and commanding him to do good. Now, it sure sounds to me like if God's commanding them to do one or the other and he gives them the power to do one or the other, man must have a free will. And then in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, uh, it says, And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. Folks, these people were not Calvinists, and some want us to believe that the original Christians were Calvinists and believed that God had elected certain people to be saved and certain people to be damned, but that's not the case. These people believed that uh, man had a free will to choose good or to choose evil. And so that's, again, that's another Baptist distinctive. Here's what they had to say in the confession on uh, on, uh, holy living. They're speaking of what we learned from the flood. And it says, to keep ourselves from evil, that all ought to repent. So from the flood, we learn because of God's anger and the evil of the day of the flood, we're, we're to repent, we're to do what's right. In James chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their infliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion isn't just uh, visiting the fatherless and widows in their affliction. It's keeping oneself unspotted from the world to live holy lives. And they believed that we were to repent of our evil and uh, keep ourselves from it and live holy lives. How about the the law of God being being in the hearts of men? The confession says "It, it was a noble law that was given us by God and written in the heart of every man that he may uh, there read it and keep it and teach righteousness. Now, this fits perfectly with what we learn in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. It says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, talking about even the lost people, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, uh, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So the Bible teaches clearly that mankind has the law of God in his heart, and um, that's why we have in every culture, no matter how isolated, certain principles that are thought of as right and wrong. It's because the hearts of, of uh, men have God's uh, law written in them. They believe that all have sinned. The confession says, why did this evil come upon mankind? Because Adam sinned at the beginning by eating of the forbidden fruit. And this grain of evil seed taking root in others, he brought death to him to himself and to all his uh, posterity. Where do you suppose they got this? Well, they got it from Romans 5.12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Now, this passage of Scripture not only confirms what they said about all being sinners, but it also tells us that uh, we're sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by choice, because it says that the death came upon all men, all of us have a sinful nature, but that all have sinned practically in, in reality in their real lives. Then they also believe that there are two great commandments. The confession says, whom they ought believe and love with all their heart, that's the first commission, as likewise to fear and serve him to the end, 
and that everyone should love his neighbor as himself. Well, that's what uh, Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 22, where the the lawyer, I think it was, came to him and said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. So we learn a lot in this little passage. We learn that there are two great laws, but we learn that every other law, everything that the prophets had to say, is based upon these two commandments. Although I've already touched it, I want to touch it again. They believed in a pure religion, the confession says, and that they should give counsel to the widows and defend the fatherless, that they should receive the poor into their houses and clothe the naked, that they should feed the hungry and conduct the, tra- the traveler, and in sum, keep carefully his law. Now, I've already read that now, James one twenty seven, but let's read it again just to fix it in our mind. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their afflictions, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. There again, it's a purity of religion. What did they believe on the virgin birth of Christ? The confession says, Then sent God the angel to the noble virgin, a descendant of the king, David, who nobly saluted her with a message for her. And after said unto her face, Fear not, Mary, for the Holy Ghost is with thee, and thou shalt bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. I'm not going to take the time to read it to you. The angel came to Mary, told her, fear not, told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, that she would bear a son. And then when uh, she told Joseph that, Joseph didn't know what to think. It's hard to believe something like that. So he was going to put her away privately. And then uh, the uh, then he had a, a dream and the angel spoke to him and told him that it was of the Holy Ghost and that uh he was to take her as his wife, which he did, and faithfully raised him as if it was his own son. How about world evangelism or missions? Here's what the confession says on that. And he called apostles and commanded them to go through the world and teach all nations and to preach to the Jews and the Greeks and all of mankind. There's no doubt at all that they believed the Great Commission and that they were to get out there and, and reach a lost world. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now that's the Great Commission. And did they believe it? Well, I'll tell you something. Right near uh, us where we live here in Lenore, there is Valdez. And Valdez has a Waldensian uh, uh, community there, and they have a, a, uh, a place they call the Trail of Faith. And I recommend you go on that tour. You'll learn a lot. And I would like to point out that the Waldenses were also called Cathars, so they're part of the same people. And they showed their, their uh, concern for the lost. They could get killed by going out into the Catholic area trying to win them to Christ. But something they told me on that tour that really touched me and stuck with me was this. Their young people, in spite of that, would learn a portable trade. I mean, a trade you could do anywhere. 
like Paul, for example, he made tents. And, and then they would go to, out of the safety of their mountains, down into the lowlands, and they would preach the gospel to uh, the Catholics, trying to win them to Christ. And they did this knowing that their chances of living more than two years doing that before they would get caught and put to death uh, was very slim. But they cared enough to go out and, and reach these people because they didn't want to see even their enemies go to hell. They also believed in the bodily resurrection of Christ. The confession says, then he told them what should happen, how he ought to die, and after I, afterward rise again. He was buried by the good and watched by the wicked, and he rose out of the grave the third day. They believed in the bodily resurrection. There are some who believe in the resurrection, but they believe it was a spiritual re uh, resurrection. No, it was a bodily resurrection. The same body that went into the grave came back out of the grave. Matthew uh, 28, verses 11 through 15, give us proof of the resurrection. It says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things which were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money uh, unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while, while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, uh, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and, and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. What they told him to said is we went to sleep. And while we were asleep, the apostles came and, and stole the body of Jesus. Well, that would have got them in a lot of trouble because the penalty for falling asleep on guard duty was death. And that's why they paid them big money and said, we'll take care of it if it comes to the to the uh, your boss's knowledge, we'll take care of it. So they, they don't put you to death. We'll tell them what happened. Well, folks, I have a question. Why would you have to pay them to tell the truth? It was a lie, and uh, there's a lot of other. There are a lot of other reasons. How in the world could you move that great big stone away from the uh, the door of the tomb? without waking up those soldiers. They must have been on drugs or something, took, taken some sleeping pills or something so that they couldn't be woken up. I, I have no idea. They also believed in salvation by grace through faith without works. The confession says, and baptized those who believed in the name of Jesus Christ. Then uh, was there a people newly converted. They were called Christians for they believed in Christ. Now from this statement, we see that they didn't baptize them until they had already believed on Jesus Christ. In uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, folks, I, will, I have to talk a little bit about this verse because it's often used by those who teach you must be baptized to be saved, but that's not what it's saying at all. But it, it, it's, it's saying repent, uh, necessary for salvation. And then it says, be baptized for the remission of sin. Well, that word for has about 30 different definitions, and one of them is because of. So what this verse is telling us uh, is uh, repent, which is going to bring you to that point of, of believing in salvation, 
and be baptized because that's what you're commanded to do in the name of Jesus Christ because you have had or have received remission of sin. It says, then you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Everybody who's saved has the Holy Ghost living inside. But the important thing is, is they believe in salvation through faith, and they didn't believe works, even baptism, was necessary for salvation. Actually, the Bible teaches that salvation is necessary to, to baptism. They also believed, and this is something I wish we'd get back to among Baptists today, is that the fruit of salvation is works. The confession says, and that they should give counsel to the widows and defend the fatherless, that they should receive the poor into their homes and clothe the naked, and they should feed the hungry and conduct the traveler, and in some keep carefully his law. Now, folks, I know this is the same uh, part of the confession that I, that I uh, quoted earlier, but it says carefully, they're to carefully keep his law. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter Two, it says we're saved by grace through faith without works. But verse 10, which we often forget, says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. As Christians, we're expected to walk according to the law of God. And we need to realize that when we don't, we're disobeying God. They also believed in, in believers' baptism, which goes with what I just said before. But it says, uh, in the confession, they preach to the Jews and the Greeks, working many miracles. But we find uh, here that the scripture saith, and baptized those who believed in the name of Jesus Christ. You had to believe first. That was an absolute necessity for, for, uh, uh, for baptism. And as they went on their way, they came to certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Right there it tells us that baptism is uh, is not required for salvation, but salvation is required for baptism because the Bible clearly teaches that we're saved when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who want to make baptism either necessary for or part of our salvation in some way have gone uh, way beyond anything that the scriptures teach, and we need to stand against that, as the Cathar did. That actually is the reason they were called Anabaptists also, because they would not accept baptism that was supposedly part of a person's salvation. They also believed that repentance was needed for salvation. In the confession it says, For he waits for the sinner and gives him time that he may repent in this life. Now that goes with Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Just as the uh, Cathar said that God gives people time to repent, the Bible says God gives people time to repent. And sometimes we say, well, why does that evil person live so long? Because God is giving them occasion to repent. But he allows people to live long enough where they have ample opportunity to repent and turn to Christ for salvation. 
they stood against the Catholic system. The confession says that all the popes that have been from Sylvester to the present and all the cardinals, bishops, abbots, and the like have no power to absolve or pardon any creature so much as one mortal sin. Tis God alone who pardons and no other. Now, they uh, set the first pope as being Sylvester. Sylvester was the pope at the time or right after that uh, Constantine made uh, so-called Christianity the, the state religion. And uh, uh, they said they can't absolve or forgive even one sin. It says nobody but God can forgive sin. And the Bible says neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, folks, the Catholic Church says there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church. Oh, I must admit they've um, modified that a little bit since Vatican II. Before Vatican II, they said it that clearly. Now they say no one can be saved outside the Catholic Church unless uh, there's no way they could become part of the Catholic Church. Well, folks, most of us, most of you listening to this radio are saved, and you're not part of the Catholic Church, but you could be if you wanted to be. So that would mean the Catholics teach you cannot be saved because you're not part of their church. No, you're saved in Christ, not in any church, not even a Baptist church. They believe in heaven and hell and the final judgment. The confession says, but when Jesus comes at the day of judgment, everyone shall receive their full reward, those that shall have done either well or ill. Now the scripture says we ought to believe that all men of this world by two paths will hold. The good will go to glory and the wicked to torment. But he uh, that shall not believe this division, let him search the scriptures from beginning to end from when Adam was formed till the time present, there he can find, if he has understanding, that few are the saved in comparison with the rest. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. But many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Now, there are some sad things in both their, their confession and this verse. First of all, there are two choices, and we, we can either make none and just continue on the world we're born on and go to hell that way, or we can make a choice to go through the gate of religion, which is big with all kinds of flashing lights and promises and stuff like that in it, and just take another route to hell, or we can go in the narrow gate. But the sad thing is it says there are few that will find the narrow gate. It doesn't say there are few that can find it. It that says there are few that will find it. They could if they would just open their eyes and look for it. Now, folks, I've gone through these rather quickly. I may have stumbled a little bit over some of them, but I would like to ask you this question. It's a real simple question. Were these people Baptists or not? The wording of the statements may not be the same way we would have worded them, but remember, this is a translation out of the old French. They may not have been as strong on some issues as we would be, but you have to remember they had different issues to deal with. These people were called by many names. The most familiar to most of us would be Anabaptists or Albigenses, but today they, uh, they are known as Baptists. Not all Baptists can claim this noble name. Only those who, like the church at Philadelphia, keep his word 
that is guarded from corruption and follow its principles can claim to be the Cathars of today. From the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, uh, <clears throat> until the founding of the United States of America, this people held true to Bible doctrine and practice. After the founding of America, uh, with the freedom of religion, the Baptists started to, uh, to become respectable, and this respectability uh, caused many of them to compromise because they liked it and they wanted to stay respectable, and they started slipping on their, their uh, standards. There are fewer and fewer Baptist churches that live according to the principles of the scriptures and can properly be called the pure ones. Now that I've got through the whole message, let me tell you why I call this from Philadelphia to Philadelphia. They started in Philadelphia and Turkey, were faithful through all those years with all the persecution and everything, and then in Philadelphia, in the United States of America, they uh, were successful in, in creating a nation with freedom of religion. Sad to say that freedom of religion is destroying us today because it doesn't cost us anything to be a Baptist or a Cathar anymore. We need to get back to our roots and be what we ought to be. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.